0: Boy, you know, being a dad is one of the most awesome jobs in the world, isn't it? It's uh, really neat when your children or grandchildren look up to you, even if it's only because you're three feet taller than them. Um, The video may be right that dads are the first action heroes that most children have. You know, when your children are little, we dads can do no wrong. And then they grow up and they realize that's not true. But for a while, it was fun being the hero in their lives. I don't know about the rest of you, but I don't feel like a real action hero most days. I don't put on the bandana and the you know the flames don't come behind my head or anything like that. I just live life and uh, do the best that we can. So, how about the rest of you? Anybody feel like a real action hero? I don't see any hands going up. Well, I want to give you a surefire way to be a hero, Dad. In fact, all of us men can be heroes. All of us who have any influence for Christ at all can be a hero. And you don't have to be perfect. That's the good news, because we wouldn't be. We never could be. All you have to do is be faithful to God. That's it. Be faithful to God. And if we dads and the rest of us are faithful to God, then we are bound to be an important part of, of our children's lives. We won't be perfect. We will be making plenty of mistakes. But if we can show our children that our desire is to know God and to love God and to live for God, then we will be their hero in the things that count the most. Well, this morning we're going to look at a story, as I said, in the Old Testament. It comes from Second Chronicles 20. It's a story from the life of King Jehoshaphat. Everybody say Jehoshaphat with me. Jehoshaphat, isn't that a fun one? Why didn't any of you name your kids Jehoshaphat? You didn't want them to have to learn how to spell it, or I don't know, or have everybody make fun of them. They're going to make fun of them anyhow. Just go ahead and give them a good name to make fun of, I guess. Uh, he's the king of the nation of Judah, and he's one of the few good kings. Very few in this list. If you go through, you know, first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. You find a bunch of raunchy leaders, a bunch of raunchy kings. Almost all of them, but here's a good one, and he follows a good one. His father Asa. And that's even more unusual. And this story is about when King Jehoshaphat is attacked by three other armies. Three large armies come against him, and he's you know walled up in the city of Jerusalem. He's thinking, you know, this could very well be the end of civilization as we know it. It's going to be the end of us. And so he calls upon, upon God. He brings his people together to pray. And the Bible says here in Second Chronicles, something very important that just, just leapt out at me several months ago when I was reading through this as part of my devotions. It said the men of Judah came out. They brought out their wives and their children and they all assembled before God at the temple and they prayed for God to deliver them. They begged for God to intervene and to protect them. And God answered their prayer in an amazing, miraculous way. So we're going to talk about this story today. Let me give you a little bit of background on King Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. One of the few good kings. He made many reforms um, because the land had become full of of, uh, terrible things. A lot of idolatry going on in both Israel and Judah. Divided kingdoms at this point. And his father Asa didn't have everything right, but he started these reforms. And he then continued what his father had started. 2 Chronicles 17.6 says that that Jehoshaphat's heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. That's pretty cool. To think that you could be courageous in the ways of God. And Jehu the seer, who was one of the prophets of the time, uh, told Jehoshaphat that God was with him because you have set your heart to seek God. And if a father does that, they're unstoppable. Joshua continued what his father Asa had started. Asa had removed many of the altars scattered throughout the land of Judah, dedicated to these false gods and goddesses. Canaanite, Baalism, the, the worship of Baal was all around. And he wanted to drive this out of the land. It is so thoroughly ingrained, so thoroughly entrenched. It was very difficult to do that, even as king. And so one by one, he's taken away these altars, these places of worship to the foreign gods. And he also brought back to the temple the sacrificial worship, the whole system of sacrifices that had been neglected. And when Jehoshaphat became king, he continued these reforms, plus he added the public teaching of the law of Moses, which had been neglected, so that the people would know this is what God wants, this is God's desire, this is what God is doing. Let's become part of this together. Let's come back to our faith. He fortified the cities of Judah. uh, Other defenses, he believed that you need to be prepared for attacks, even time of peace. He said, in time of peace, prepare for war, because peace isn't forever. And as a good king, he prepared for that. He is also credited with making peace again, finally, between Israel and Judah. But the way he did it was he united the two royal families in marriage, which meant he gave his child in marriage... King Ahab's child. And that wasn't a good thing because King Ahab was a very, very bad king up in Israel at the time. In fact, one of the worst kings ever. And becoming an ally with Ahab turned out to be a costly decision. Uh, And their treaty led in time to the demise of both kingdoms, Judah and Israel. Well, this morning I want to focus on this one story in Jehoshaphat's life coming to us from chapter 20 of Second Chronicles. So please find this book in your Bible, if you brought your Bible with you. If not, look in the seat in front of you. There's a bunch of uh, paperback Bibles there, and if you turn in one of those to page 314, I think you'll find this story. It's important for you to not only look at the screen today where we're going to put all these scriptures, but have a Bible in front of you because you may want to go back to different verses. And after we read this story, I'm actually going to kind of highlight a few things. So it'd be really good if you had a Bible in front of you today, whether it's your own or the one from the seat in front of you. Let's read the text together, Second Chronicles 20. Everybody ready? After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, with some of the Meunites, came to make war in Jehoshaphat. I read that and I said, there are a lot of Meunites in America today, apparently. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. That would be the Sea of Galilee. It is already in Hazaz- Hazazan Tamar, that in En-Gedi. We didn't know that name. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. This would be fasting and praying, the whole nation coming together. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Ju- Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard, and he said... O Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword or judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us. By coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood before the Lord. I have underlined that verse. I thought that's so neat. The men brought their wives, even their little children with them, and they stood there before the Lord asking the same prayer that Jehoshaphat has now worded for them. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jehiel, the son of Madaniah, a Levite, and a descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. And he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa, and as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. And after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. We sang those words this morning in the very first song of worship. As they began to sing and praise. The Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And after they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. And when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder, it took three days to collect it. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, where they praised the Lord. This is why it is called the valley of Barakah, praise to this day. Then, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lutes and trumpets. The fear of God came upon all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel, and the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. Now, Let's go back and just kind of look, note a couple things that I want to point out. First of all, verse 3. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. Ever been alarmed? I have. You ever been stunned? You ever been overwhelmed? And he proclaims this fast, this time of prayer for the whole nation. He says, we all have to come together. Look what's upon us. Look what is threatening us. Jehoshaphat was not a perfect king. He was not a perfect man, but he knew this much. He knew that if something alarmed him, if something was more than he could handle, he had to go to the Lord about it. Have you been there? He knew to pray. He knew to ask for God's help. Verse 4 it says, The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town. And as Jehoshaphat prayed, the people prayed. Go down to verse 12. He prayed, we have no power at all to face this vast army. We do not know what to do, (laughs) but our eyes upon you. Our eyes are on you, God, because we do not have the power for this. Verse 13, all the men of Judah with their wives and children, little ones stood there. No exceptions. No one who said, let someone else pray today. I'm busy. Let my wife go down there and pray because she's the religious one of the family. Let my children go pray, because their hearts are just kind of more naturally turned to the Lord. No, nobody made any exceptions. Every man went. No man abdicated his responsibility to stand before the Lord. Verse 14. God spoke through Jehaziel immediately. There was no delay. There wasn't, okay, now we're going to sit here quietly for the next ten days, next two weeks, next two months, wondering what's going to happen. God spoke immediately as they were even praying through someone who was not a prophet. He spoke through one of the Levites, one of the priests. And through Jehaziel, God said that he would not delay in sending them the help that they needed. God said he would answer them in a remarkable, unexpected way. And God began first by comforting them and by giving them courage. Verse 15, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged because of this vast army. The battle isn't yours. I've got this one, God was saying. Verse 16, God not only encouraged and comforted them, he gave them a specific strategy, a specific strategic battle plan. He told them exactly where they're going to meet the enemy, out at the pass of Ziz. And he said, this is what's going to be gone, uh, going on there. Meet them. This is where the battle will take place. Verses 18 and 19, Jehoshaphat and his people worship the Lord after they'd heard this answer, after they'd heard this prophecy. And the Levite, says, stood and praised God with a very loud voice. And so then, Jehoshaphat set the worshipers out in front. Look at verse 21. As they went into battle, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise Him for the splendor of His holiness. And the singers went out at the head of the army. How many times do we see that happen? Not very often. They're standing in the background singing away, blowing trumpets or whatever, encouraging with the drum beat, but not the very front line. And they're saying, give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. And as they began to sing, as they began to sing, did you notice that? As they began to sing, God set ambushes against their enemies. And as God's people praised God, He incited their enemies to attack one another and to completely destroy each other. And when the men of Judah got to the battlefield, the only thing they could see was dead bodies. That's the kind of battle I want to go to. You know, if you're going against the enemy, you show up, it's done. God's already taken care of it. In fact, it takes three days to carry off the plunder. So here are the people of Judah who felt doomed to defeat, suddenly finding themselves in complete victory. The biggest victory they've ever enjoyed not only were their lives spared, but God has blessed them with the spoils of victory, even though he had won the battle, not them. The attacking armies apparently had planned to dispossess the Israelites, if not wipe them off the face of the earth. You know, they were the ones that they passed by, and then they took over Palestine or the land of Canaan, and these guys set off to the side. They saw them blessed. They saw how the land prospered, you know, and All these things that God was doing. And they said, we want some of that. In fact, we want all of that. And they came even with their wives and children and all their goods. Because they were going to move in to the neighborhood after they dispossessed the Israelites. And yet God won the battle once he saw the faith of his people. Now we're in a similar battle today, aren't we? You know, it, it may not be as dramatic. We're not holed up in a city somewhere, although sometimes we hole up in our churches and think, that's the enemy out there. You know, that, that's the wrong mentality. But but we do feel that we're under the gun, that we are under the pressure to live in a very foreign environment. And as Christians, this is not our home, this is not our world. And it is a similar battle. Our very way of life is is being threatened just as surely as these people from Judah. The battlefront today, the battle that's being waged, is is a different kind of battle. It's the battle for our children. It's the battle for their hearts and minds. It's the battle for the souls of men. It's a spiritual battle for every man, woman, and child. The battle's not on a battlefield like the one a few miles from here at Bull Run. It's a battle for the minds and hearts of our children and everyone else. Everyone else we would ever come to know. We know that as a nation, our nation has turned away from God. We know that our land is filled with altars to many foreign gods and goddesses. And many of the people around us, our neighbors, our our friends, some of our family members, are serving and worshiping some other god or goddess rather than the true God and our Lord Jesus. Many people do not know anything about God. They don't care about God. They don't want to follow Him. But we, we are the followers of Jesus Christ. Our aim is to please Him and to live for Him. And in this environment, that's not always easy, is it? Feel like you're pushing constantly for a voice, constantly be able to stand in freedom for what you believe, and to not feel threatened or criticized or judged by the world around us. Our aim is to please him and to live for him. Christian dads, Christian dads, what are they going to do? You know, I wonder sometimes, do we feel defeated even before we even begin? You know, um, do, do we look at the The odds. Do we feel kind of like those men from Judah as they're inside the walls of Jerusalem and they're looking around and they're thinking thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of soldiers are waiting out there to destroy us. What are we going to do? Let's just give up. And they admit to God, this is more than us. We don't know what to do about this. Does our situation sometimes seem just as desperate as Jehoshaphat's was? Are we alarmed as he was alarmed? Well, we shouldn't think that the situation is hopeless. And we can learn from them. We can learn what they did. What did they do? Did they go out and fight? No. They went and prayed. They fasted. They asked for God to intervene, and God did. So what can we learn from these men of Judah? That's what I want to talk about in the next few minutes together. First of all, they trusted in God, not in themselves. Secondly, they took leadership of their families. Thirdly, they faced the battle with prayer and worship. Kind of an odd strategy. But it worked. First of all, they trusted in God, not in themselves. They knew that they couldn't win the battle on their own. They knew that the enemy was too formidable for them, but not too big for God. They knew that God could defeat any enemy they ever faced. And so they leaned on God, they threw themselves upon God's mercy, and they asked for His guidance and wisdom. They put their confidence in, not in themselves, but in God's ability. And this is a real struggle for men to do, isn't it? You know, we want to be strong. We want to be able to take care of ourselves. We want to be able to take care of our wives and our kids. We want to be able to satisfy whatever needs are there. We're going to make the money that is needed to be made. And we're going to fix whatever needs to be fixed. And it's in us to do all of this. It's how it's how we're built, how we're made And so it's very difficult for a man of God to suddenly say, I can't do this. But this is exactly what the men of Judah did. This is what we can learn, first of all, from them. They did not trust in their own ability, but in God's ability. And they threw themselves upon God. God, help us. Start there. Secondly, they took leadership of their families. They didn't say religion is a thing for women and children. We have a problem with that, too a lot of that going on in America. They didn't abdicate their responsibility and tell their wives, help our families know about God. Teach the children about Jesus. They personally led the way in believing in God and seeking Him every day. And how many men are doing that today? Sadly, not very many. Not as many as there should be. You know, I start asking myself, what kind of scenarios do we have at New Hope? How, what are the family dynamics? What are the family situations going on here between men and women and their children, between husbands, wives, and as parents of certain children? You know, What are the situations? Well, you got a family where the dad doesn't know the Lord at all. He has no allegiance to Jesus. He's never come to faith in Jesus. Maybe the mom has. Maybe the kids have. And so this dad can't possibly lead his family to God until he comes to know God. So that's a situation. Uh, I can't even really speak to that except encourage him, come to faith, and then lead your family. Then there's another uh, set of people, another grouping of families, where some dads are believers, but they're not taking spiritual leadership of their family seriously. or leaving it up to their wives to teach their children about God. And they may go along to church sometimes, but church is not their idea. It's their wife's idea. And they go along just to keep her happy, keep peace in the family, or whatever reason might be there. But not taking leadership. And then there's a third group of families here in our church where the dad understands what his role is, understands what God has called him to do. He knows that God has given him charge, uh, a commission to lead his family spiritually. And he doesn't need his wife to remind him that they're going to go to church or or that he needs to read his Bible and pray and he needs to deepen his faith in Christ. And this man has a profound relationship with Jesus Christ and he's already doing whatever he can to lead his wife and children to follow God's will. Now, how many of each do we have? I don't know. What percentage of the first group, the second group, third group do we have? But I see this happening. And you can decide today which group... You're in. If you're a man here today, I want to speak to you very specifically right now. I want you to take this as if I was just sitting one-on-one with you, and I'm going to ask you, which group are you in? Do you believe in God yet? If not, you can't lead your family here. This is the first thing you need to do is come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you are a believer, but as a dad, as a husband... You've abdicated your this responsibility to your wife and said, you know, I'll be on the side. I'll make sure there's roof over our heads. You take care of this spiritual stuff. That's a mistake. You're denying a God-given role, a commissioning, a calling that God has placed on your life. So a decision needs to be made that you will step up and you will lead your family. If you're even in the third category and you understand and you sense that God has put this on your life, are you really doing what you're supposed to do? Are you really following through? And can the faith that is in your heart be, be exhibited, be demonstrated that others would see it? Does your family know that you're leading them to God and you're setting the example that you need to set for them? Do they see you getting up and having devotions to the Lord every day? Do they see you, first one, saying, hey, it's time for us to get to church. It's time for us to do this. Do they see you sharing your faith openly with other people? They maybe hear stories at home of how somebody at work was having this problem and you stepped in and you talked about that and, and you, you shared somehow that God was with them. You know, Do they see the evidence in your life? If not, then you have a decision to make because God has given you this role, this, this job. So these men trusted in God, not in themselves, and they took leadership of their families. And thirdly, the strategy, the, the weaponry of their life was prayer and worship. They knew that spiritual battles are not waged with the physical weapons of war, the weapons that the world uses, maybe in the business world. The fighting principalities and powers takes prayer and worship. Neither one that come very easily to men but something we must learn. They became, these men of Judah, well-versed, well-equipped in prayer and worshiping God. And when things got to this point, they said, this is what we do. We fall on our knees. We fast and pray. We worship God. And God does whatever God will do. And this is Jehoshaphat's story. This is the story of the men of Judah. Are we like the men of Judah? That's the big question this morning. Men of God who are here this morning, do not walk in your own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. If you think you're big enough, if you think you're macho enough, if you think you're strong enough for whatever life may throw at you, you've got a time of embarrassment and shame coming. You're going to get crushed. You're going to get hurt. You're going to be spent. And you're going to find out you're not enough for what life can throw at you. But if you learn here at the beginning to throw yourself on God, to lean upon God and count on his strength and not yours, it will change everything. And I want to encourage you this morning just to follow the example of Jehoshaphat and the men of Judah. Because you can't do this alone, but with God's help, all things are possible. Secondly, I want to encourage you to rise up and take leadership of your family. It is your duty. It is your calling. Be like Joshua, for instance, who stood before the Lord and before the Israelites, Joshua chapter 24, and he challenged them to to live for God. And he said, you know, you make a decision. You decide. Choose for yourselves this day whom you're going to serve, whether the gods that your fathers served or the gods of the Amorites where you're living now. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You decided that. You made that conscious. Henry Blackaby said, serving God was not Joshua's only option. He could have adopted the religious beliefs and practices of his his family heritage. He could have accepted the idolatrous religion of his neighbors. These options probably look like easier choices than worshiping God. But Joshua had witnessed God's faithfulness. He was convinced that his Lord was his only uh, true God and that serving him would bring victory and blessing. And so he decided to serve God alone. He was determined to teach his entire family to do the same. Or think about Noah. Thinking about Noah this week and thinking how impossible it was. You know, we think the world's against us. Here's the only righteous man on earth. He's got his three sons, his wife, his three daughters-in-law. These eight people are against the whole world. Nobody's ever had it tougher than that. In dealing with persecution or people that are saying, what are you doing? This is crazy. Why are you spending a hundred years building this? What is this? You call it an ark? Why do you need that? What is this about? The ridicule that was heaped upon them. And these three sons of Noah were privileged to have a dad like him. Privileged to have a man of integrity and of faith who said, no matter what the world throws at us, this is what we're doing. This is what our family is about. And they rose to the occasion. They built the ark together, and God delivered the eight of them when the rest of the world was destroyed. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you as a man of God, as a person of God, that you will learn these things. Lead your family. And lead your family with prayer and worship, not just on Sundays, but every day. Ask God to help you fight your daily battles to come out victorious. I I just got reflecting. You know, we've got uh, normally we have two of our grandchildren in town because they live in Haymarket, but we have our other two from Indiana right now for this whole week, and so it's all about family right now. And I, by the way, you need to pray for me because I'm the only dad around today for all of them. Grandpa's, you know, in Florida. Another grandpa's in Maryland. One dad's on business. Uh, another one has traveled back to Indiana. So I'm the only dad in the house today, and I'm feeling like, wow, I better try and do a good job today because, you know, all these people are there, count on me. Of course, I get all the celebration part of it too. So I'm looking for a nice meal and all that. But, but, uh, <laughs> right, Jane? Okay. And through the years I started thinking about, you know, what has our life been like? What has it been like to be a dad? And I started thinking about Jane and I and and how how we've tried to be consistent. We've tried to to set the right example, to teach the right things. And I just wanted our kids to, to understand we want to know God, we want to live for God. That's that's what we're about. We've taught our children, Josh and Jenna, that Jesus is our Lord. And that our aim is to please Him, to serve Him. And they've been raised as preachers' kids, PKs. That's that's not very easy. It was expected of them by almost everybody to live at a higher standard than all the other kids, you know. And and they didn't like that always. It hasn't been easy for them, right or wrong. This is the way people look at them. And so when they made mistakes, everybody knew about it. And at times, they've enjoyed being PKs because there are a few privileges, a few perks to that. But at times, they've resented it. And when they got to the teenage years, when they got to the teenage years, there were questions. Now, both of our children, Josh and Jenna, became Christians early in life. They were still in elementary school. They were baptized into Christ. But as they got to be teenagers, there were questions that came. You know, like, this faith really needs to be mine now. I'm facing a little tougher audience now. My peers. It's not just hanging out with the other church kids. Now I'm in school with all these other people. And so the questions came. Even some rebelliousness came. And, And if you know our story, you know many parts of that story. But still, as parents, we soldiered on. We kept teaching them whatever was right and trying to model for them the Christian way of life as best we could. And You also know we weren't perfect by any means. We made a lot of mistakes along the way. We still do. But the bottom line is this. We want our children to know our faith. That our faith in God is genuine. And even with the mistakes, even with the problems, I hope they know that. I think they do. And thankfully today, we can say that our children know and love God just as we do. And that brings us so much joy. They're married to good Christian spouses. And as Christ-following couples, they're doing the best they can to live for Jesus and to teach this next generation, our grandchildren, what it means to know and love and serve God. And so it's a really neat time of life, but it's not without problems. It's not without challenges. Neither is yours. With God's help, we can live like the men of Judah we can pray, and we can worship, and we can make a difference in our children's lives. I want you to know today that if you set your mind wholeheartedly on serving God, your example will be a tremendous blessing to your family. If you place your confidence in God, not in yourselves, those around you will witness your faith, and they just may decide to trust him too. That's been our joy. So choose as Joshua did, as Noah did, as the men of Judah did, to serve God unashamedly with all your heart and then watch to see how God blesses you and your family. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for these examples, people who struggled as we struggle, people who stumbled as we stumble, people who faced enemies that seemed so much bigger than them as we do. People who lived in a world bent against you, a world that denied your very existence. People who stood for you when it was not easy. Who faced discrimination and persecution and even death because their faith was so strong in you. Help us, Lord, to be like the men of Judah. Help us to begin by acknowledging our need for you, our dependence on you, We are not strong enough in ourselves. Help us to realize, Lord, that that you will meet us there and that your strength is far greater than any enemy we will ever face. Help us to lead with prayer and worship, Lord, so that as we lead our families and take that responsibility seriously, uh, you will use us somehow to impact and influence our children and the people around us. Keep us strong in our faith, Lord, Help New Hope to see a change in those groups where finally the vast majority of of our people see a dad who understands what a dad really is and can be the hero of faith in their family that they need to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you join us as we sing together a song of praise? You alone, our Father. Let's serve God together.